He had everything that he could ever possibly want. He could aspire to no greater accomplishment. His name was Haman. But Haman lacked one thing. It was the respect of a mid-level bureaucrat named Mordecai. And Satan entered the heart of Haman, and Haman secured the agreement of King Ahasuerus to eradicate the Jews from the face of the earth. Satan knew that if he did not destroy the lineage or the child himself, he would be destroyed. After the birth of Jesus Christ, through deception, Herod the king hoped to find and destroy the child. But the Spirit of God intervened. And the wise man went home another way, and the Spirit sent Joseph and Mary and the baby to Egypt to safety. And Satan, enraged, inspired Herod to kill all of the male children two years old and under in and around Bethlehem. At his temptation, Satan tried another ploy. If I cannot destroy him, I will corrupt him. And it did not work. There were riots during his ministry, recorded especially in the Gospel of John. And repeatedly, John tells us, they went to throw him off the side of the mountain, but he walked through them and went away, for his hour had not yet come. At another case time, they took up stones and they would have stoned him, but he passed through them and went away because his hour had not come. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe that Satan made a final attempt to kill Jesus before he went to the cross. In our New Testament, it says of the incident in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus was in agony in the garden. Now the word in its normal Greek usage does not describe being upset inwardly. It describes specifically to wrestle or to grapple physically. Physically. The Greek vocabulary is large indeed. The Holy Spirit chose to use that word. And I believe that as Jesus was in the garden, Satan came to wrestle with him, trying to kill him. He was in agony and his sweat became as great drops of blood. He was injured. Satan tried to kill him. And the angels came to minister to him and to strengthen him so that he would not die before he reached the cross. And after he was dead, Satan tried to keep him in the tomb, but he could not. He could not. Does this not put a new light on Jesus' struggle in the garden? Was Jesus afraid to die? Absolutely not. His disciples tried everything they could to talk him out of Jerusalem after he began to tell them what was going to happen. They begged him not to go. 
They knew, they had been told that his enemies were lying in wait for him. He was not afraid to die. Rather, he had a wrestling match with an opponent. It'd be hard to wrestle with yourself effectively. And he went victorious over that enemy to the cross. Now in these verses we see the woman fleeing into the wilderness. It is very much like a description in Daniel chapter 9 describing the 70 weeks of Daniel. And it occurs during the first three and one half years of the tribulation. Here in these verses again is that, that description for time, times, and half a time. That is for one plus two plus a half for three and a half years. She would be protected in the wilderness. And then notice in verses 7 through 12, here is the cherished victory, beginning in verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. Now let me pause before we read the other two verses and say this. This does not describe a brief period of time. It is rather a dramatic description of a battle that has raged across ages. But notice the wording here in verse 10. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom have come. For the accuser has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. We do not ever go into our world to do service for our Lord in order to proclaim that one day victory will be won. We go forth in assurance, proclaiming that it has already been won. You know, one of the reasons that we have such terrible times living as God wants us to live is because we are under the delusion that we must fight the enemy. We must not. He has already been fought he has already been defeated. It is all over. We declare the victory that has already been won. And continuing verses 11 and 12. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even to death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them... Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. 
There never has been, nor will there ever be again, time like those last times on the earth. Michael, the warrior angel, is one of the very interesting character studies of Scripture. Let me read you this statement about Michael from Walter Scott, and I encourage you to write down some of the uh, Scripture references because he is indeed a fascinating individual. And though we do not see him often in Scripture, what we do see of him and know of him indicates that he is very important in God's scheme of things. This distinguished angel is named five times in the Scriptures. Daniel 10, 13, and 21. Daniel 12, verse 1. Jude, verse 9. And in Revelation 12, 7. He seems to be the leader of the angelic hierarchy. As he is termed by Jude, he is the archangel. And in Daniel 10.13, where Michael is first named, he is spoken of as the first of the chief princes. In each of the five passages where his name occurs and in their context, the Jewish people are always in focus. Evidently, he is the angel to whose guardian care the interests of Israel are committed. But Michael makes it his business to see that Israel does not perish. Michael is a militant, mighty warrior angel. In fact, the cult called Jehovah's Witnesses, who does not recognize the deity of Jesus Christ, believes that Jesus was an incarnation not of the Eternal Father, but of the archangel Michael. These angels with Satan, as we have read about in these verses, have lost their cherished estate, they have lost their beauty, they have lost their purity, they have been locked to their eternal destiny in a depraved, demonic, obsessive hatred for God and cowering fear before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We might say that Michael is the commander-in-chief of the armies of the angels. Now coming to Satan again, he is a defeated foe. In verse 9, there are five titles or descriptions given to him. He is the dragon, the great dragon. This demonstrates his fierce nature. You know, Hollywood dearly loves to make movies that even though they seem to acknowledge a struggle between light and darkness, between good and evil, for the most part, the dark side is persecuted and misunderstood and put down. It is so, well, that's a whole other subject, but uh, there isn't anything cute about him. Nothing. He's deadly. You know, we seem to believe that, that 
Satan wants to fulfill us and God wants to keep us from having fun. It's not true. It is not true. Satan always pays with counterfeit coin. He never delivers what he promises. He never gives the real thing. His realm of operation is death and destruction and disease and disaster. He knows nothing else. There is no redeeming quality in him. He has no mercy. He has no goodness. There is no light. He is darkness, utter, total darkness. He is the dragon. He is the serpent, as he was in Genesis, showing his crafty character. He is called the devil. Now, the word devil means one who slanders, one who slanders someone else, one who takes his meaning from destroying truth and slandering others. Just think of his career beginning in Genesis when he said to Eve, has God said? Eve told him what God said and he began immediately to slander God by calling him a liar. You shall not die, he said, when God had said that they would die. He is called Satan. Now the word Satan means accuser or adversary. The closest correspondence that we have to it is he is the prosecutor in court. It is his purpose to obtain a conviction. It is his purpose through accusation and an adversarial stance to destroy. And then he is called the deceiver. And there are many other things that we could say about him. Now, I do want to mention one subject uh, that I only want to say a word about. It is alluded to in this text. And I am uh, fully uh, willing at some later time uh, when that's what the text is about to talk about it. But notice that in uh, these verses, Satan... Uh, has caused water like a river to pursue her so that the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river. Satan is fully capable of the miraculous. He is the prince of the power of the air. His power is no match for God, but he overmatches anyone but God and the archangels. He has much power. And he operates in the realm of the miraculous. Indeed, in the book of Revelation, he performs many miracles. The ruler of the one world government will be murdered publicly. He will be wounded, the book says, but it is clear that he is dead. And Satan will resurrect him and he will be the incarnation of Satan as Jesus was the incarnation of God. Jesus of Nazareth said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. And no sign shall be given except the sign of Jonah. 
Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and will rise again. The Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. The miracles of God are serendipities given by our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, but they are not in and of themselves miraculous occurrence or is not in and of itself evidence that God is at work. Jesus will see and he will bring victory. In the end times, the Jews will see the truth and they will turn to Christ. Now notice finally in verses 13 through 17, here is a childish war, a childish war. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a great river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. It is indeed a childish war. Satan having been cast down from heaven as far as his personal presence is. Satan is limited to one place at one time. You know, I, I'm afraid that many times we as Christians think in terms of Satan that he is like the Holy Spirit, that Satan is everywhere. He is not. Now, he has more fallen angels doing his work than I like to think about. But Satan is not infinite. He is finite. He is one place at one time. He is limited. He has power. He, we are no match for him, but he is no match for God. And as he has done throughout history... He will continue to do battle with those who belong to his enemy. Now there's something I find very interesting in verse 17. Don't let the statement pass you by. Read verse 17 with me again. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. There is no question that the century that will end in just over ten years is the century in the history of Christianity that has seen the most satanic assault against the church in history.
Do you know that since the year 1957, more people have died for their faith in Jesus Christ than in all the previous years of Christian history? In the last 32 years. Satan will never love the Jews. But since the cross, he has spread his hatred and his animosity and his special activity to those who know Jesus. And as we come closer, as we are day by day, to the end of all things, that opposition will grow more fierce. Theodore Epp, the founder of the Back to the Bible broadcast, made this statement in his work on Revelation. From these verses, we see our need to be calm, to face Satan on the basis of our union with Christ. We are also to be alert, to watch and pray. It is also our responsibility to resist we are not to ask God to resist for us, but rather we are to resist Satan in Christ's name. And we are to be strong, strengthened by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to face him with the word of God and with a clean heart. Because we belong to Christ. You know, we get things backward and upside down. I find myself in my latent perfectionism, wanting to meet standards that I cannot reach, I find myself cowering in fear sometimes that God will punish me. That's not the way He is. He is not a vindictive, sadistic, out-of-balance, out-of-control parent who loves to beat his children. He is the father of light in whom is no shadow of turning. Every good gift comes down from him. He is not waiting to punish us when we mess up. He is waiting to pick us up, to hold us in our arms, to speak peace and forgiveness to us. It is Satan who is waiting to hurt us at every opportunity. We belong to Christ. We face Him with the Word of God, with a clean heart. We resist Him in the name of Christ. We have no strength. We have no glory. We have no beauty of our own. We have no power. But we have within us the presence of the divine Lord, sovereign of all the ages, who will, as we surrender, live his life through us. And as Isaiah said, whatever you come up against, when he sends you out, you'll meet that challenge. If you come to flooding rivers, they won't drown you. If you come through fire, you will not only come 
through the fire, but you will not even be scorched because of His presence and His power. Revelation 12 is very brief, is very comprehensive. It is a staggering thing in so few words to see the essence of a struggle of the ages and yet so eloquent and so simple is the bottom line. The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even to death. May we pray. Heavenly Father, like Martha in Bethany, we are so concerned about so many things when only a few are essential. Would you grant us the wisdom and the grace to choose, as did her younger sister, the better part which shall not be taken away? Would you deliver me, Father, and many of us from that obsession that Martha had to be constantly busy, to be constantly doing, to be always performing for fear that we might not be good enough. And plant in us the spirit of her sister Mary who simply sat at your feet. Father, I thank you that there is no doubt about the outcome, that it is sealed in eternity, that it is a past, present, and future reality. And I thank you that it was not dependent on us, for if it had been, it would have been lost. But by your love, by your grace, and for your glory, you have made us to be a nation of kings and priests before you forever. Father, would you somehow help us to see, if only briefly, but more and more day by day, that so much is at stake in the lives of those around us that we dare not waste the opportunity and the time. Father, draw from each of our hearts that specific commitment of life that will make us what you want us to be, that will a little more today fulfill your promise that we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. I thank you for what you will do. 
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We will sing in a moment our hymn of invitation, hymn 361, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. I don't know your heart. I don't know your need. I'm grateful to God that uh, whether or not He speaks to you is not dependent on me. But when we come before Him, in His presence through song, through the spoken word, through the scriptures, He will touch us where we hurt and where we need to be helped. Whatever He would have you do, trust Him as your Savior. Invest your life in this church family as you live here. Whatever it might be, what He would have you do, do it right now, do it quickly as we stand and while we sing.